0: This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. What's up, Minopod? My son Alex has been home for a week, and we took him back to his community in Cape Cod last month. As any empty nester knows, it's an adjustment when your kids leave. So Alex has some medical issues stemming from the cancer diagnosis he had as a baby. And when he went to the dentist last month, they saw a suspicious sore in his mouth. After much consternation, we got him an appointment with an oral surgeon. But when I picked him up from the train station on the weekend, he complained of a sore throat and congestion. So of course we thought COVID so but he two negative COVID tests later and a canceled appointment he was feeling better and so we got him in to see an ENT or ear nose and throat doctor and it was just a blocked gland so that's awesome right a really really a huge relief. Now the universe works mysteriously because of of course my mind wanted to take me to the worst case scenario instead I focused on feeling great and enjoying his time at home and next week we're going to take him back up to the cape but to keep my mind occupied on the more hopeful kinds of things I had to be aware, aware of my thoughts and the feelings that they were causing. And you know, when it comes to menopause in life, the only constant is change. And what I'm here to tell you is that change is possible, but it won't happen overnight. The first step to change is making the decision to change. And then we have to back that up with action. And that's the big challenge. How do we take any action? And even more importantly, what actions should we take? The menopause movement is here to help you with all of that. Menopause can be a time of misery or it can be a time of unapologetic action toward creating a life we love. I woke up in the middle of my menopause journey hating myself, my body, And the life I had created, I didn't know what to do. So I went on a quest to find out how to make change happen. And the result was the Menopause Movement podcast and the Menopause Movement. The Menopause Movement has one purpose, to help end suffering caused by menopause through transformational education and coaching. And we want to help you too. So head on over to menopausemovement.com. Take the quiz there, and not only will you discover your type, but we'll also tailor some offerings to help you take back your life from menopause. Getting into the driver's seat of my life was the first step I took to overcome the challenges I experienced with menopause, but I did it alone, and it was really lonely. The Menopause Movement has created a community of women who are unapologetically deciding to become their best selves, one small action at a time, and you can too. Join our community and start to create a life you love. Today, we're delving deep into skincare. Jennifer Fugo, MS, LDN, CNS, is a clinical nutritionist empowering adults who've been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin and unending gut challenges. She has experience working with conditions such as eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, dandruff, hives, and with clientele ranging from... Regular folks to celebrities and professional athletes. Jennifer also founded her own line of skincare and supplements, and that's available at quellshop.com, specifically for people struggling with chronic skin issues. She holds a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and certified nutrition specialist. Her work has been featured on Dr. Oz, Reuters, Yahoo, CNN, and many podcasts and summits. Jennifer is a faculty member of the Learn Skin Platform, an Amazon bestselling author and the host of The Healthy Skin Show. During the podcast, we go over symptoms as a clue to nutritional deficiency, the experience that led to Skinterrupt, the Skinterrupt skincare line, gut function, microbiome, and bowel health, rosacea, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, the uses and dangers of coconut oil, inflammation as the root of many issues, and stay to the end to find out one thing you can do to improve your skin right now remember the most important relationship we have is the one we have with ourselves so pay attention to that and at the end of the episode visit menopausemovement.com forward slash podcast where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode and if you enjoy the episode like and subscribe leave a written review subscribe on youtube wherever you get the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is, re- is released and who should we have on the podcast? Do you have any ideas for me? What can we do to make it better? I want to hear from you. So send me a DM on Instagram at D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-O-R-D-O-N, Dr. Michelle Gordon or on Facebook, same thing. And when you send me a DM, you're going to get me. You can send an email to Dr. Gordon at menopause movement.com. Thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Jennifer. Jennifer. <music> Jennifer welcome to the menopause movement podcast super happy to have you here today and you know you are a nutritionist who empowers adults who've been failed by conventional medicine and so I love that because we spend a lot of time here at the menopause movement talking about the best way of eating you know the middle mate way of eating and uh, to help women kind of mitigate their symptoms through diet. And, and one of the things I talk about in our, we, we do a live series uh, every, every couple of months, and I talk about how <laughs> Hippocrates, okay, way back, in that was like 560 BC or something, said, let food be thy medicine, the father of medicine. So let's talk a little bit about your background and uh, where you live and how you got started with what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here and being able to share whatever wisdom I can with your audience. It's a huge honor. Um, So I am located outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. I actually grew up here and I still live here now. And I basically got into health because A, I started to have health problems in my 20s. And then B, my dad was a medical doctor and eye surgeon. And so I worked Uh in, you know, I was a kid of a doctor. I had to go work and do the charts, notes, and all sorts (laughs) of stuff as a kid. And I grew up in the office. And then eventually after college, I came back and actually worked in my dad's office, the front desk, working with him directly with patients. And I got to see what healthcare was actually like, Uh which was quite horrifying, actually. But yeah. In the same respect, it empowered me to start asking questions that a lot of people weren't asking. Like, maybe the the this one person's eye twitch, well, maybe could, could she have a magnesium deficiency? And my dad's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't know. That's an interesting perspective. And I started doing research on this and that. And that's, that's really how my interest in nutrition grew, was starting to look at problems from a slightly different perspective. Could there be other options aside from medication options and whatnot. Like, could it be a clue to something else going on? And so I went back to school to get a master's in clinical nutrition at the University of Bridgeport. And here I am now. I'm certified as a nutrition specialist and I'm licensed in the state of Pennsylvania.
0: That's amazing. So as a graduate, a college graduate, you were working in your dad's ophthalmology office, and you started to see symptoms as a clue to nutrition deficiencies. And were you able to help him like diagnose these issues with his patients? Did you kind of start talking to him about that?
1: I did. My dad was afraid, though. He was afraid that it wasn't the standard of care. He Mm. would recommend some supplements and I cringe to say this, but he'd be like, well, you could go to Rite Aid and get their brand of supplements. I was like, dad, no.
0: Why didn't Um, he just sell supplements in the office? He
1: was afraid. He was afraid. He was always afraid that if he got reported to the board that the medical licensing board, he could lose his license. So he wow. made it very clear to me early on that he was always afraid that if he didn't follow the standard of care, he, he felt comfortable like doing little tiptoes, like, well, maybe you should go, go to the Rite Aid or the CBS and get this particular supplement, but he wouldn't go beyond that. And, <laughs> and that was what truly opened my eyes to realize the massive dysfunction that there was in not allowing doctors to do what they felt was right for their particular patients because you have this looming board over top of you that could come after you. And that's that's actually, to some degree, quite sad when in reality, a medication, I think, yes, antibiotics have a purpose. Yes, antifungal medications have a They all can serve a purpose and they can yeah. be a bridge to help someone become more comfortable in at least their situation. It can alleviate extreme suffering in a short period of time, hopefully. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it should be the end-all be-all. There are some instances like someone who has thyroid dysfunction, which I'm sure many women in your community may experience, like where you might unfortunately need thyroid medication for the rest of sure. your life to maintain health, good health. But it doesn't mean that's the only thing that you need to do there's a lot from a nutritional perspective that also goes into thyroid function. And it could be an opportunity to also look in that avenue to say, what are some of the other things that I could do in conjunction to improve my quality of life? And maybe these issues that are coming up are signals. I like to imagine that they're sort of like ancient, in you know, the ancient old days of cavemen, the smoke signals of fire. <laughs> you don't really know what it means. But it's a clue. Yeah. It's trying to direct your attention someplace. There's no manual, unfortunately, but we have to start digging. And that's what I love to do.
0: Well, I like that. But your dad was kind of an old timey doctor, he I was. think, because they're not going to come after us for selling supplements. I mean, doctors sell supplements all the time. So I know. So I think it's really such a such a testament to the Power of belief and how we create our our own. You know, th- th- there's a choice there, and he chose to believe that if he if he gave supplements to his patients that he might get in trouble. And it's too bad because he probably could have helped a lot of people if he if he'd done that. But that's that's just I, yep. something I, I, I noticed. My dad and I
1: butted head many, many times on that point, and I bet. Um, he retired in 2019 and then passed away in early 2020. So he was an oh, old school doctor. Um, he had a great career and he's very well known within the ophthalmology. And you know he did he he did follow his calling. And I'm appreciative yeah. for the experiences that I had because it helped me That's get great. here.
0: That's awesome. I you know I love that. So you're a nutritionist and you've recently just last year at the end of last year you you created a pandemic business right. You're a, you're in the skincare world now. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how that happened.
1: Sure. So um, we have to back up to my grad school years. So in sure. the middle of grad school, so I'm running a business full time, and I'm in grad school full time online, which takes mm. a lot of dedication and focus, by the way. yeah, I didn't realize that until I started having health issues. I started having blood sugar problems, and then I broke out with eczema. It's a sp- very mm. specific type called dysydroidic eczema, where you get these almost like they look like you almost have like clear beads under the skin, and it impacts the palms of the hands and the the um, bottoms of the feet mostly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was. It would, I, you know, at first it just had a strange appearance, and then eventually it became super itchy. The area would become very pink, and then red, and then sore and hurt, and the beads would like almost like burst open and would ooze, and then eventually it would dry out, the skin would heal. And then after like a week or so, this cycle would start again. And I did do the whole like Dr. Google thing. And I actually, to my own credit, did figure out what it was. Because when I went to the dermatologist, she was like, actually, you're right, that is dyshidroidic eczema. But the solution that she gave me at the time was the steroid cream that my dad had already given me. And he had told me to be very, very careful with how yeah. much I used it and how often I used it. And then her suggestion was to put Vaseline on my hands to keep the moisture in, which I was like, like practically speaking, how's that gonna work? Because <laughs> I'll have Vaseline all over my house. <laughs>
0: Ew, that's pretty and gross. so
1: she didn't have any other suggestions. She said it wasn't my diet. At the time, I was du- gluten, dairy, and egg-free and had been for six years because mm. I had had pretty significant reactions to those particular proteins. So I couldn't, re- I, cu- I didn't feel like it was a diet problem. And this got worse and worse. It would spread. It went up my fingers to the inside of the fingers. It went down my palms. And then eventually it ended up on the back of the fingers and impacted the growth of my nails. And they started to look all funny. And I became- That's a medical be- term. Oh, really? Look funny. funny. Yeah. <laughs> those look funny. And honestly- <laughs> I got really depressed because my hands. I can imagine. So, first of all, I couldn't work out because I couldn't lift weights. It hurt my hands in the wintertime, especially because I'm in the Northeast like you are. It dries out quite significantly. So, anytime I would bend my fingers, I'd get it would feel like paper cuts. Everything Mm. would cut and break apart. Um, In the summertime, the skin would burn. If I even so, not even using soap, just water could burn. So badly. And my hands honestly looked infected. They weren't, but they looked infected and people would be uncomfortable touching my, like shaking my hand. And it really got to the point where I didn't want to go out of the house. I felt, because I couldn't hide it. I mean, what are you supposed to do in the middle of the summer? Like with like yeah. really
0: or inflamed- white <laughs> Everywhere.
1: (laughs) So, my husband was very kind and he said, Why don't you, you know, think about this? If a client came to you with this problem when you are an actual nutritionist, what would you do? And I tried remedies online. I looked at naturopathic websites, herbal websites. Like I tried everything that you could try. I bought salves at Whole Foods and all sorts of stuff and nothing really worked. Some things Mm. would help slightly manage it. I was still using a steroid cream. And so anyway, I did somehow, and I say somehow because in all honesty, I don't think what I did was really all that like... Um, more on the terms of like, I wouldn't make somebody do that now. It was very over the top. I created this like, cause I didn't know what I was doing. I was making guesses. I was like, I'm just going to do all the things with all these different supplements. And in reality, um, that. I did, after about six months, started to see the flares subside. And at the year mark, my finally the skin was pretty calm and the nails started to really grow out and look healthy finally. And I have had a couple flares since, but I was still in Facebook groups. And I don't know if you've ever been in a Facebook group for any skin conditions, but the photos that people share of either the children or of themselves, and they usually share them at their worst moments, are devastating. I can imagine. And I was like, you know what? I feel like there's something else here that isn't being looked at. And I'm curious, I'm going to start to dig. And so that was three years ago where I decided to start a whole new website that was focused around skin called SkinInterrupt.com. So to interrupt the conversation that we're having about skin that is not working for a lot of people because it's just about managing a situation. And then also to, to to launch the healthy skin show podcast. And now we're like over 200 episodes. So it's been a real passion of mine. And I feel so grateful that I've had the opportunity to interview doctors from all different specialties, uh, nutritionists, dietitians, patients, different researchers to talk about different ways we could look at what's happening to the skin to help somebody who's really not, like the research hasn't trickled down yet to the exam room and give them options and also to help them ask better questions as well.
0: So Well, I I mean, I think that's really important. And we, we spent some time on this podcast talking about the the American specifically American medical system, mm-hmm. where doctors aren't taught anything about nutrition, they're not taught anything about menopause. And even if you watched TikTok, right, there's that derm doctor who reacts to people who are, yeah. you know, popping their pimples and whatever. And it's, it's like, if you want to fix your skin, you have to start with your diet. I, there's just no other way of looking at it. So now you've you know, gotten interested. You've you've been in the Facebook groups. You saw the the need, mm-hmm. right? And so, what is the difference uh, with what you? What is the difference with what you provide with the skin Well, land it's looking, line.
1: Yes, it's looking at things from a completely different way and saying that number one, I don't shame if someone wants to use medication, whether it's a steroid cream or a biologic drug or anything like that. I don't ever dissuade people from going to see their dermatologist. There's a huge problem with people where they have quote unquote flares and it's actually a skin infection. So I've educated Mm. myself to know the symptoms. So I can, and I kid you not, I have to sometimes coach, literally beg people to go back to the doctor because they are so frustrated and feel so put off by their experiences in the past that they don't want to go, even though I know they need medication. Yeah. So helping to support them on that front. And then at the same time, looking at diet, lifestyle, biochemistry. I I think we take for granted the amazingness of, I don't wanna talk about like liver detox in a fancy way. Like there's a lot of nutritional biochemistry that goes into liver detoxification. It actually needs nutrients to do some of the jobs that it does. And if you don't have sufficient nutrients, it makes it hard for the liver to do what it needs to do. So looking at different nutrient wells and how that then trickles down to other areas of the body. Like I was saying, your thyroid, we mentioned that before, the liver. We can also look at gut function, and what's living within the gut microbiome, Mm. because that can play a role. And then also to better understanding different nutrients that go into creating healthy skin. And also understanding that it's not just an outside in approach, there is an inside out and you do need to do them together. There there is an, I think a lot of people want to just do one, they want a a magic, they want a a silver bullet, as they say, and I'm like, there usually isn't one.
0: It's Everybody Everybody wants a silver bullet for everything. You know, if it, 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 when it comes to menopause, you know, women women want a pill. Mm-hmm. Just a pill to make it go away and and unfortunately menopause is a change mm-hmm. and we have to we have to deal with it. Now you you talked about the gut microbiome and and we actually haven't brought that up on this podcast yet and and one thing I like to say is I went to um, exponential medicine one year and I met a, a bacteriology a microbiome specialist and one of the things that he told me that I found very surprising is that there's more bacteria on this rock that's hurtling through space, and there are stars in the sky. And it's like bacteriology is a new cosmology. Mm-hmm. You know, we can look down instead of out. And it's, so it's really amazing because the, how we are really interdependent on the gut, especially for our happiness. And so what, what can someone do? How, how does someone diagnose, you know, the, you know some, some problem with, with their gut, with the, with the bacteria in their gut? Because I'm not a specialist there.
1: Well, the first thing I would say is you want to consider other factors. So we'll put it this way. And this can apply to other conditions. It could apply to just like not feeling well in general as you're going through menopause or you're in menopause. It can also apply to autoimmune diseases. It can apply to a lot of different things, including skin. So Mm -hmm. the first thing I always say, if you're going to take more of a 2,000-foot view approach is take a step back from fixating on the things that are making you upset and start identifying a list of symptoms all throughout the body that are going wrong. And also look at your digestive function. And that's more than just... Do you bloat, do you have gas, do you have like some diarrhea or some constipation? Those things are all important, but there are other factors that can play a role. Like for example, if you've been iron deficient for a long time, that could be a sign, or B12 deficient, that could be a sign that there is a digestive problem because those nutrients have to be absorbed. And that can actually be indicative of a problem specifically originating in your stomach, not even Mm -hmm. further down. Although there can be absorptive issues that could be, we can find with celiac disease and whatnot. So number one, what is going on with your body as a whole? Also consider your travel history. (laughs) This is often overlooked. So if you have gone on treks in your earlier years to India, or you've traveled to Bali and you got sick there, or maybe you didn't. So if you went to a trip to, say, Bali or some other third world country, whether you got sick or not, you may have picked up organisms that you didn't necessarily anticipate. And so consider your travel history. Consider whether you eat a lot of sushi, because that's another unfortunate big red flag for parasitic issues. Mm -hmm. Um, You could also consider, is there mold in your home? And that's a whole other aside, because the, the toxins produced by mold can cause immunosuppressant-like activity um, Mm -hmm. and that can make you more susceptible to issues like H. pylori. So H. pylori is a bacterial infection that is really very, it's actually one of the most common infections. Uh, 50 to 60% of the world's population is infected with this and the infection is in your stomach. And yep. that decreases. So for example, if say you had indigestion after you eat, or you sometimes have heartburn, even if you figured out and you tracked it to certain foods, and so you're like, I'm just going to avoid those foods. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a food problem because not everybody in the world is reactive to red wine or tomato sauce or all the other things that are on right. that list. It could be that you have that bacteria hanging out in your stomach that decreases stomach acid. It could make you feel nauseous, whether you're eating or maybe randomly throughout the day, you might have bloating issues, gas, diarrhea, constipation. Sometimes the stools start to look dark, but because you don't have a sufficient amount of stomach acid, because this particular bacteria has an enzyme that deactivates our stomach acid, you now aren't breaking proteins down correctly. You aren't breaking iron. You aren't breaking B12 off of the proteins that they are bonded to in food. That means you don't get access to them. And on top of that, you're, so we're thinking low, lower nutrient availability to proteins, B12, iron, and some other nutrients. The other problem is that proteins don't get absorbed and they head further down into the large intestine where they become fermentable. Uh, they're basically yeah. fermentable foods which they shouldn't be they shouldn't be mm-hmm. down in the large intestine and bacteria start to ferment them and the byproducts of those that protein fermentation process are they're, it, they're it's not good let's just put it that way it's not good <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so, so that can skew the microbiome as well so we have a lot mm-hmm. of different factors here so think about what's going on not only in your digestive system, look at your poop, by the way, and be comfortable <laughs> with that idea. I know a lot of people have like this gross factor and we think it's gross. That's a barometer of health. If you're having chronic problems with, with loose stools, with um, constipation, so if you're not ha- having a bowel movement, a healthy formed bowel movement at least once a day, Mm-hmm. Even if it's once a day, but it's like pellets, that's more constipated. That's not yeah. normal. It's not, we shouldn't blame it on age. We need to more identify water. what's going, right. And make sure that you are drinking enough water, obviously. Some people don't, but that we, we want to look deeper.
0: Yeah. So that's really good. I mean, you, you went from the stomach to the colon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think what I love about the fact that we know about H. pylori, yeah, you know, the, the guys who discovered H. pylori won a Nobel prize, And the reason is that H. pylori is responsible also for the ulcers Mm -hmm. that we get and where they're they're curable now. And as a general surgeon, you know, I took out my share of stomachs in my residency and and did vagotomies because we thought that it was stomach acid that was causing the problem. And that operation is almost never done anymore because we're able to solve the problem. So if you know, if you feel like you have an ulcer or something, you know, we just treat it with with anti uh, acids and some bacteria and some antibiotics now. Mm-hmm. And it's in and, and that was discovered in the 2000s, you know, maybe late 90s. But
1: and I know now they have some new combo drugs that have come out more recently. But I, I will say this for anybody who's listening where they're like, wait, I've read a lot online about back- antibiotics being bad and the proton pump yeah. inhibitors being bad. The, the research and so I am more on the you know, I like to look at the alternative options and whatnot, but the research is pretty clear that therapy actually does work. And Mm -hmm. you do, and I know I'm not a doctor. I can't tell any of you what to do. You can listen to Dr. Gordon, but (laughs) I can, this is something I commonly have to coach clients around because they're afraid to also take that PPI or that proton Mm. pump inhibitor. And I'm like, the research is clear it is more efficacious. You will see a better clearance rate using the PPI. It's not forever, it's for that period of time. So if that's something your doctor has recommended, I do encourage clients to follow their directions because the research shows us that it is helpful.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, the problem with chronic use of PPIs is it really does decrease magnesium absorption. And when you have a lower magnesium, then uh, things get weird. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know muscle muscle function gets weird and so you want to make sure that that if you're using ppis you want to make sure that you have a a plan to end them but other than that it's there's especially if you have a diagnosis of h pylori you want to take whatever they recommend Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's because the cocktail the cocktail was tested as a whole not as uh individual so the next thing i want to ask you about is a lot of women in menopause myself included develop rosacea and so what can, can you give us some practical tips about how to manage that? I mean, for me, I was on uh, minocycline for a couple of years, and I recently stopped it because I ran out. and I said, "Yeah, I'm going to see what happens," and uh, I've been okay. I haven't had any any big flares. But I, when I was working as a surgeon, I remember there was one time it was the middle of the night, and there was somebody was admitting, and I had all these lesions on my face, and he and he was next to me, and I was just standing there like this talking to him because I was so embarrassed in my face.
1: Well, I can tell you this much. is are really interesting, like skin beast. Um, it's not fun to deal with. And if it obviously becomes very severe, it can be disfiguring. Yeah. And I do work with clients that have gotten to that point. Um, some people will also find that be- they become reactive, not only to the foods, like there's a whole rosacea diet food list of things that you should avoid, um, especially things that are hot or spicy, so like peppers, uh, not like a bell pepper, but more like cayenne pepper, ginger, for example, cinnamon. (laughs) There are certain spices you probably want to try to minimize or avoid and see if that helps. However, there is also some really interesting research, and I interviewed this doctor. um, It's Dr. Leonard Weinstock on the Healthy Skin Show. He's a gastroenterologist, and he was seeing patients who had both ocular and facial rosacea I don't wow. I don't recall if it was at the same time and so what was fascinating about his let study me just let
0: me just slow down sure. for a second just just for the audience ocular means in the eye all right go oh, thank ahead. you
1: thank you yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, he found that 77 percent of those individuals of that pool of individuals actually had small intestine bacterial overgrowth
0: hmm So
1: I want to clarify what that is for people who aren't aware. That's
0: SIBO. We have actually have a, there's a podcast called SIBO Made Simple that we've uh, published here on the the Menopause Movement Podcast. So you can go back and learn about SIBO from that. But go ahead and keep talking about it. Our
1: microbiome should be down really predominantly in the large intestine, not in the small intestine. And so one thing that I've found, and I'm not claiming to be a SIBO expert by any stretch of the imagination, but what I see a lot of times in clinical practice to kind of jump back for a moment to that H. pylori conversation is that many of these clients with rosacea who have an overgrowth of bacteria ended up with it because they had H. pylori with decreased stomach acid, not just the digestive problems that ensue, but that's a chemical barrier. It's meant to kill the microbiome that lives in your mouth that we swallow multiple times a day, anything that's in your water and your food, and you give access. It's like opening your front door and going on vacation. (laughs) You give access to everything, to your gut. And unfortunately, you end up with this overgrowth of bacteria that ends up in the small intestine, and that can be a big factor in triggering rosacea. So it may be worthwhile to consider that there is this interesting component between these uh, two, these Hmm. two things that could go on in the GI tract. From a, and I'm not an esthetician, but I have interviewed an esthetician about this on the Healthy Skin Show. And one suggestion she also did make, you have to be careful, like, you know, some people love hot yoga. They love to sweat. That that actually is very aggravating for rosacea. And, and It's not to say you shouldn't exercise, but you do need to make sure to regulate the room. Maybe you have a cool towel or something that you can use to help keep your face especially cool. And then also to using, there's these different like metal rollers and you can purchase them on Amazon oh, and yeah. keep them in either the refrigerator or the freezer. Stone ones, you don't want to put in the freezer. And you can roll that over your skin to help cool it down. And then the other tip that she gave, and and again, people can go and check out that episode, was just you do have to be really cautious with the skincare products you put on your face, like a lot of anti-aging products, especially for those in this age group. And I understand. I'm in my early 40s, and I'm like, look at the Oh, gosh, my skin quality isn't the same (laughs) as in my 20s. I'm already seeing these things happen. but you have to say, look, I have to ad- look at my skin from where it is right now. A lot of times we have these ideas of how we're supposed to look put on us by society. And we're like, oh, I got to do anti-aging. I got to focus. But if your skin can't tolerate that, the peels and all sorts of, I don't, they're almost procedures that you can get done in some some of these uh, facial offices and whatnot. Not with a dermatologist per se, but you can go to your local esthetician and get all these different needling procedures and everything. That can be really traumatizing to the skin and especially for somebody rosacea, make it worse.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. I mean, I think that if there is a, if there is a correlation between SIBO and rosacea, uh, that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's pretty fast, you know, a, a pretty good idea. But in terms of diagnosing SIBO, I think it requires a push enteroscopy, and so in order to do that, it's an upper endoscopy with, you know, with with a biopsy or a, you know, something like that. Unless so, you know of another way.
1: Yes. So actually, so number one, the way that I do it is really from symptoms. I do use a comprehensive stool test in my practice. Um, like I was trained in my um, undergraduate program, and I am allowed with my within my licensure to be able to look at more comprehensive stool tests, things like the GI MAP. Or the GI effects tests like that, but yeah. I also use a lot of times the clinical picture of what's going on, the symptoms sure. that people talk about. However, you can get SIBO testing. Um, some people can actually buy it's a breath it's a breath test. Okay. Um, you can either you you can buy kits yourself, or your doctor can do a SIBO breath test. The only the slight downside is that number one, it's not going to tell you what bacteria is there. Number two, so you're only going to get to know if there's hydrogen or methane gas available. There's a third gas, which is hydrogen sulfide that you can't test for. So that there's one problem you could have, it could look fine, but really you do have it because you have some other
0: over. Hydrogen sulfide is bad. Yes. <laughs> not, not a good thing. Um, no, it's, now- it's, it's bad. That's uh, it, even you think about the, the, in the organic chemistry lab or, you know, it, that that's that's something you, you know. It doesn't smell good and. It's, no, it's it's not a good one.
1: No, yeah. it's not. Um, but like eggs. I said, a, a lot of times I go by symptoms. And when I look, okay. if I see, if I can tell from a stool test, because somebody does show up with H. pylori, or I suspect because of the patterns that are present on in the large intestine. So there can be clues, like if you have, for example, high levels of strep species, strep can be high in those with psoriasis, because we know that in some individuals, strep can trigger Gutate psoriasis. However, the other thing is strep mutans lives in our mouth microbiome. So if you have a whole lot of strep in your microbiome or high levels of Fusobacterium, that can be another red flag that you have, like we've got that front door situation going on. We don't have our front door of our house closed and we need to close it and identify why. And so if that's the case, then I might say, you know what, we're going to do some things. I, I'm allowed within my scope of practice to use herbs and botanicals. But if I really feel it's warranted, I do send clients back to their gastroenterologist. It's just tricky because depending on what's wrong, sometimes insurance will cover, like insurance a lot of times won't pay for Rifaximin, the main medication, unless you're diarrhea dominant SIBO. Mm. So it's that's where it's tricky. But the one nice thing to know with botanicals is that since they work all throughout the gut, sometimes you can help to rebalance things all throughout. And there is some research showing that two, I think it's two separate protocols using um, different products, and it's written about online. And I'm happy to send you the citation to put in your show notes. Uh-huh. Does show uh, that the herbal cocktails were. At times, equal or even more effective than the rifaximin treatment. For but that, SIBO. that
0: probably that doesn't surprise me. And the other thing that doesn't surprise me is the fact that insurance companies won't pay because the insurance companies are in business to not pay. Right. Uh, but
1: well, rifaximin's I mean, like a thousand dollars. It's it, really it expensive. Yeah, it,
0: but it doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's probably only a thousand dollars in America, and Pro- probably, not that yes. much other places because America is the land of the corporation and the home of the profit. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> I was told when my doctor wanted to treat me with, I had a GI doctor because I discovered I had uh, my eczema come back two mm. years ago, before, right before we went to Sicily. And when I returned, I started having some GI issues, got a stool test done and found that I had a Citrobacter infection and an Enterobacter infection. So I went to a GI doctor because he wanted to treat it with antibiotics. And he tried mm. to prescribe Rifaximin and my insurance company Said no, that I had to try an antidepressant, an antispasmodic drug, and he's like, "That is ridiculous! <laughs> like we have confirmed yeah. proof you have an infection. You don't use those to treat." But that's how it goes here in the no, United it's, States. No,
0: it's it's really it's really frustrating, and one of the reasons I actually left medicine because of insurance companies practicing medicine without a license. Uh, just the whole the whole thing is ridiculous. How about how about coconut oil? <laughs> Let's talk about coconut oil. And, you know, I've had because I, I remember when I when I was really having some bad rosacea, I was going to an acupuncturist and I said, what should I do about this? And she said, coconut oil is amazing for everything. But I didn't do it.
1: Well, it's a good thing you didn't. Yeah. Especially on your face. Just from a, a facial standpoint, it is very acne triggering.
0: <laughs> I can imagine because it's, <laughs> it's so thick. and It's so uh.
1: thick. It's clo- It will clog your pores. So it's yeah. not a good thing to put on your face. For, I, I can speak to different skin conditions too, um, because for eczema, what I have found clinically is that there is an increased risk of allergy to coconut now because coconut is found in so many products as well mm. as food. Like think about the keto diet. People are doing co- the fat bomb and all sorts of things, they're eating a lot of coconut oil. And so you can have an allergic reaction to coconut oil. I've had clients say that. Um, I also found that it just made my eczema worse. It felt like it wasn't penetrating and that's because it doesn't because the molecules are too large. So it's not hydrating. It's actually Mm. more like uh, putting saran wrap over your skin. Uh, Mm. And for some people, they also get the sensation that it's hot. And that's literally because you are... Kind of like locking everything in, so not. That's why a good I hate A and D
0: ointment for the skin. <laughs> I don't like A and D ointment. It's good for a baby's butt, but I don't like it for. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of wound care for a long time, and nursing homes, you know, have patients who don't move, and so they get they get wounds, mm-hmm. and they would use this A and D ointment, and the wounds would start to smell, and and I was like, oh, this is not a good, this is not a good product, and so we started using some other things other than that. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, a and is really good for, for, you know, maybe a diaper rash with a desitin or something, but not that's a zinc product, but not, not for wounds. Anyway, go ahead. No.
1: And, and for psoriasis, some people have to- shared with me that they do find that it's helpful for their plaques. Mm. So it's hit or miss. I would say rosacea is a hard no, but the other issue is that it's very antimicrobial just from a, more, like it's not an antibiotic, it's not at that level, but it can, if you're already struggling with uh, dysbiosis or an imbalance of bacteria, we talked about bacteria in us, but we have bacteria Mm -hmm. on us, on our skin, there's this whole amazing rainforest of organisms. And if you're already really struggling with dysbiosis of that microbiome on the skin, and if you have rashes, that may be the case, um, it can actually make things worse. Coconut oil. Coconut oil. Yes. Right. So yeah. I don't recommend it. I also am very judicious with the amount that I recommend for, as uh, just a nutrition place, because there is there is some some research out there that does show that coconut oil can be metabolized by certain gram neg- gram-negative bacteria into what are called lipopolysaccharides or LPS. And they're inflammatory mm-hmm. endotoxins or basically products that are made by these bacteria. And when you look up like, um, lipopolysaccharides and say cardiovascular disease or all these other diseases that we have, you can see there's actually literature showing that there's a problem. So I'm not saying that somebody who's doing a keto diet and a high fat diet and they're eating a lot of coconut oil is gonna end up being sick. I'm not personally a huge fan of that unless you actually have issues with like seizure disorders and whatnot, where there is research to show that it's beneficial, but that's fine. That is somebody's prerogative to find the diet that works for them. But I do think we we have to be mindful and mix up and have a variety of different foods in our diet and not just mm-hmm. fixate on one thing and act like it's this panacea of health, when in reality, what works for one person may not work for you.
0: You know, okay. when it comes to I mean, we're all unique. And so when it comes to mm-hmm. everything, I mean, there's no one size fits all answer. And what do you feel about? Um- uh, MCT oil, which, you know, comes from coconut oil, but it's it it's not the same as coconut oil.
1: For some people, it can cause diarrhea, usually yeah, have yeah. to titrate on slowly. I have mixed emotions about it because again, there's this issue of like, what do we do if somebody has a really messed up digestive system and you don't know, it's not like you can tap your nose, spit out a tape and be like, okay, I have this bacteria, this problem. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, <laughs> Our bodies can't do that. So if you suspect that you do have, if you do know right out the gate, you're like, yeah, I got a lot of gut issues. I've just been dealing with it. Stomach problems are my jam. (laughs) That might be a clue that maybe doing a lot of MCT oil or coconut oil might not be the right approach for you and to figure out what's actually going on there Mm 1st I will say that there are some really potent constituents of coconut oil like monolaurin, that can serve really positive functions in the body when used appropriately. So you'll see online that they're used with like um, for fungal overgrowth, they can be helpful in reducing uh, strep populations in the GI mm. tracts. There's a lot of cool research out there and I do use monolarin in my practice. But again, if you have a coconut allergy, it's not gonna work.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's great. So so what about so we talked to, for a minute about, you know, psoriasis and eczema and rosacea, and we talked a little bit about SIBO and rosacea. What other gut health issues come with psoriasis and eczema?
1: So with psoriasis and eczema, usually there's an imbalance of bacteria. So you can have H. pylori. You can have there could be SIBO. Everybody's picture is kinda of a little bit different. You could have an overgrowth of fungus. So fungal organisms nor- normally live in the small intestine. So you can have, how we talked about SIBO, you can have CFO, yeah. small intestine fungal overgrowth. Yeah. You can also have fungal organisms that end up taking up residence in the large intestine, which is problematic. You can have parasites, which are sometimes more difficult to identify and what is sad is, and this has been a a thorn in my side of sadness, is that I've had clients who have tested positive for blasto, like very high levels of blasto, but they don't have any digestive what? issues. Blasto. Oh, blastocystis hominis. So it's a okay. protozoa um, parasite that I don't know what the percentage of individuals have it. I know there's, being, there's research being done by an organization somewhere in Oregon right now about the prevalence of it. But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what type of protozoa. I've never had a client show up with worms. But the I have. one... <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> I am sure you have. Uh, but the, the, the sadness for me is that there's this disconnect between what like one system and another. So they're like, well, if you don't have any digestive issues, I don't believe this is true. We don't need to, t- we don't need to treat this. And I'm like, but the person is miserable, like just because yeah. it's just their skin. And you can find case reports of somebody who has blasto and in- a blasto infection, and they have horrific skin lesions. And by addressing the blasto, the lesions cleared up.
0: So treated with flagel?
1: Uh, it can be treated with flagell. I think mm, paramomyosin. I'm not, a, I don't know all the I know a lot ivermectin.
0: of Ivermectin's used for, you know, a lot of these things as well. Yeah. Not, not so much for COVID, but it's starting to, you know, they're, sh- they're showing some, some you know, I mean, there's this whole thing about ivermectin and COVID, but but we use ivermectin for tapeworm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then flagell, flagell we use for all sorts of things. We use it for facial stuff. We use it for yep. vaginal problems. So um, and then the other thing you're talking about how you can have fungal overgrowth whenever when I when I was working as a general surgeon, whenever somebody had a perforated colon, specifically, they would get an antifungal, I would would make sure Yeah, I make sure I give them a antifungal because there's natural fungus in the in the gut in the mm-hmm. colon that lives there so but that's when there was like spillage of stool that right. sort of thing yeah perforated right. colon that's
1: fascinating yeah. yeah yeah it's just it's a really interesting mix of things that can go wrong and so i've i've had clients with psoriasis who actually had some random weird bacterial infection that when they were treated with antibiotics by their doctor the lesions almost completely cleared up. Now that's not everyone. There is sure. many different facets to psoriasis and some people, have they have just different pictures. They've got different issues going on. That's why some people will respond to Humira versus some other type of biologic medication or methotrexate or whatever. And there's some people that they just don't work for. Some people don't find Otesla helpful. Yeah. Um, and the same goes for eczema as well. There's uh, Dupixent right now is the big biologic drug that you may see lots of commercials for on TV because it it is a very, it, man, it makes a lot of money. But the problem is that what biologic drugs do, and so I think this goes back to that idea of inflammation and why we do need to look for the reasons why, what's driving the inflammation is that biologic drugs are essentially just shutting down inflammatory pathways. Yeah, And so if you think It's just a gene problem. And I've had a lot of clients be told that. You just have a gene, you have bad genes. You got the eggs. Nobody has bad genes. I'm like, that's an awful thing to say to someone. It is. And I can speak to that personally. It really hurts because it feels like there's literally nothing you can do and you are doomed. And so instead, how about we look to see what's causing the inflammation? And so um, here's another ex- quick example of what inflammation can do to wreck your skin barrier. So I interviewed Dr. Peter Leo. He's a very respected dermatologist out of Chicago on my show many times. He's amazing. And one thing that he shared with me, there's a protein called phalagrin. And filagrin is really important for your skin barrier. It's almost like if you look at a brick wall, it's like the mortar mix. So mm. it helps keep the little section in it, little spaces in between the cells nice and tight, which is awesome. We want that because we want a good skin barrier. What should be outside should stay outside. It's the same right. almost with the digestive system. What's inside the digestive tube should stay there and be processed into the body correctly. <laughs> There shouldn't be this inappropriate in and out mechanism going on, that's dysfunction. And so what he shared with me is that the thing that dysregulates the phalagrin gene, yes, you can have, it's actually pro is the gene, but what can cause it to go awry, aside from having a SNP, so a, kind of a gene that's a little funky, is inflammation. And hmm. it doesn't have to be inflammation on your skin, it could be, but it could be inflammation happening someplace else. So instead of just saying all my options include our topical steroids or methotrexate or dupixent or whatever, why don't we start looking for what could potentially be stoking that inflammatory fire? That's what I do. <laughs> That's what my colleagues do. Yeah. I, because the thing is, That fire, while it's showing up right now and your skin is impacting other systems and it may impact them further down the road, I am a firm believer in having grown up as a child of a doctor and and working in his practice and seeing the state that is quote unquote the golden years and being told that that the golden years are a lie repeatedly by so many of his patients who had lost toes, feet, vision, all sorts of stuff from many different Conditions and bringing in like shopping bags full of medications that we aren't looking for the fire, that inflammatory fire. And long term, your body gets to a point where it just can't keep it in check. And so I think symptoms. And the complaints that we have are an opportunity to look deeper. It's a calling. It's an invitation to say what's going on. It doesn't mean you can necessarily heal everything. I've had people ask me, well, I have my thyroid removed. Do I always have to take? I'm like, yeah, you always have to take the medication. We can't fix everything. Right. But let's use all the tools. (laughs) Let's use all the tools we possibly could to help you live a good quality of life for as long as you're here.
0: Yeah, that's that's great.
1: That's my thought.
0: Yeah, I like that. The the one thing I wanted to say is that inflammation really starts with our food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell tell women who come through our programs, and, and I talk about it all the time on the podcast, but two things you can do right now to decrease your inflammation is cut out seed oils and sugar. And I'm not telling you you can't eat sugar at all but cut back on it because there's too much sugar anyway. So those are those are really important. So before we end, was there anything else you were hoping to share that we didn't get to? Oh
1: my goodness, I could go in a million different directions. I yeah. hope that I have piqued the interest for somebody who's hearing this and they're going, wait, I had no idea, I, I've had eczema or my daughter has eczema or what? A- <laughs> yeah. my grandchild has eczema or, or psoriasis or whatever that you recognize there are so many different facets to this. Um, I know that there is a movement of doctors. It's really small right now of, of like dermatologists who are interested in a more integrative approach. And there are different dietitians and nutritionists like myself that are all working together to try to increase awareness about this, but you're not doomed. You're like, there, there is hope. I just want people to know that I don't, I don't like to make promises or guarantees because there is no guarantee of anything in life. Yeah. But if you felt like you have had to give up your life, you can't go out, you can't have a social life, you know, and you're also not able to sleep. I have a lot of clients who cannot sleep because they're so itchy. And this also goes for chronic hives as well. There is hope to look further into what could be triggering the issue from so many different levels. I agree with you 100%, Dr. Gordon, diet Mm -hmm. is an important first step. You don't need to pay somebody like me or any of my colleagues to tell you that, but I think that there's so many amazing things you could do. I also just personally suggest, uh, look into an amino acid called glycine. It is found in collagen, but I do find that many times, individuals who are having chronic skin issues, so this goes back to that touch that I mentioned about liver detoxification, we have a very specific pathway in our liver called the glycine pathway. So glycine is an amino acid. It's one of those little building blocks of protein. And we require glycine and B6 to repackage certain toxins in our environment, as well as what is made by gut microbes in order to get them out of the body. And so a lot of times what I found from looking at different testing and such was that people really needed more glycine. And so glycine can be helpful in a number of ways. It can help you sleep better. It can also help support this system by getting that nutrient that's critical for biochemistry to make it work better. And then also too, You can use it as a sweetener. So you talked on, Mm. touched on sugar. Glycine is sweet to the taste, but there's no sugar in it. And I've seen some really interesting articles in diabetic journals about recommending glycine as a sweetener to those who are diabetic because of the sweet taste without impacting your blood sugar. And you don't have to take a lot. A little bit goes a long way. I usually recommend somewhere between three to five grams. I know that sounds a lot because we don't know grams here in the US, but it's really like a teaspoon Mm -hmm. to like a teaspoon and a half a day. And you can put it in water, swirl it around down the hatch.
0: Well, the other thing that glycine does is it improves gut uh, health and absorption. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's required, and when I used to have to give people TPN, which is uh, total parental nutrition, mm-hmm. because they they couldn't eat, uh, that was one of the one of the things that we had to look at and sometimes wanted to add. And y- you know, you, if you've never, I mean, you're a, you're a nutritionist, but you probably never had to work with a, a surgeon with TPN and that no, sort of thing. I-
1: I didn't, yeah. that's a fascinating, that is a fascinating anecdote and an ad. Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. So gl- glycine, glycine is super important to gut health and absorption is in particular. And so when you haven't used the gut for a long time, that's something that you want to make sure that you add a little bit to. So uh, where can people find you?
1: They can find me at well, I'm going to give you the easy way to find me because it's skinterrupt.com. But a lot of people are like, how do you spell that? So just yeah. type in healthyskinshow.com. It'll take you right to the website and where the podcast is on the All website. Right. And then I'm also over on Instagram at Jennifer Fugo. So that's awesome. To find me.
0: Well, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. It's been really fascinating.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been so great to talk yeah. to you. I love nerding out.
0: Nerd. <laughs> Nerd alert. All right. <laughs> Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase, and we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement.